Travels with Charlie is paid for by Jolly Convenience Stores, Milne Travel American Express, and Casella Waste. The views and opinions expressed in Travels with Charlie do not necessarily reflect the views or opinions of the Radio Vermont Group. We welcome listener feedback. Email your comments to wdev at radiovermont.com. Well, it's all about all the folks you meet. Sitting in a diner or out in the street. Catch up with the news. Get your point of view. I want to hear what unravels. I'll see you in my travels. And welcome to our latest episode of Travels with Charlie. I'm Charlie Papillo. Thanks for listening. And uh, thanks to our great sponsors for their support. Let me just uh, take a moment to mention them. Casella Waste Systems, Casella.com, Zero Sort Recycling, Reliable Service, Competitive Pricing, Jolly Convenience Stores. Oh, they got creamies, and you need one today. Hot coffee, sandwiches, snacks, ice-cold Coca-Cola products, fuel for your vehicle. When I'm on the road, I know where to stop. Jolly Convenience Stores. And if you're traveling... What else? Milne Travel American Express. Since 1975, their travel specialists searched the lowest airfares via databases exclusive to the travel industry. And exciting because this is uh, the first day of summer, and I'm glad to be with you. I also want to do a quick uh, shout-out and thanks to Rick Sengary for having me on his program, Vermont Viewpoint, uh, last week. You can uh, check that out on WDEVradio.com. On the podcast, and Rick does a great job here at WDEV. Man, guy just does his homework. We had a great time, and he gave me 45 minutes on his program. Really appreciate that. So uh, thank you, Rick. Coming up on our show today, Mark Redman, Executive Director of Spectrum Youth Services. He has written a memoir. We're going to talk with him about that. And Jeff Weld, Director of Community Engagement on the Casella Sustainability Spotlight. My first guest today, however a member of the Vermont legislature, former auditor for the state of Vermont, a veteran. I could go on and on, but we won't have much time to talk. Uh, too many to mention here with our time constraints. Uh, one is uh, which I do want to mention. He's a certified fraud examiner. That might come in handy at uh, <laughs> some point. Won't you please welcome to Travels with Charlie, Franklin County Senator, Randy Brock. Randy, so good to see you. Charlie, great to see you again as well. Boy, it's been a while since we spent time in Absolutely. the studio, Absolutely. and I, I appreciate you coming down here to uh, the WDEV studios and joining me here. It's a, it's a much smaller studio than much the... smaller studio, but the thing that I see, there's no food here. And, well, I, there is! The that... I always used to be on the air with you is the, is the room was always full well, of goodies. and I know that, and uh, and especially with Mark Redden coming up today as well, there's a tradition that uh, I wanted to continue on. So I did stop off at the Bagel Mart just down below. I didn't get bagels but I did get you an oatmeal raisin cookie. Those are uh, nice and healthy. Uh, and we'll, we'll talk a little bit about uh, the first time that you and I met <laughs> and you brought in Philly cheesesteaks. <laughs> I, I do want to get into that, but we do have a lot of important things to talk about. We're going to be taking a look back at the legislative session. Uh, but first, what insight can you give us into the upcoming veto session, which is coming up on Wednesday is that going to be an in-person? Are you going to be going back to Montpelier? No, this is, this is going to be a remote session uh, as well. Uh, and we have uh, three vetoes to deal with. Uh, two of them are of charters. One, uh, 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 one of Montpelier, the other one is of Winooski. Yeah. And then we have a, uh, a bill to deal with, and that's a bill that, uh, in effect, keeps secret criminal uh, charges and criminal convictions of people below a certain age, and that age is, is creeping up the way the bill is structured. Yeah. So just to be clear, and by the way, if you have a question uh, th this afternoon for Senator Randy Brock, please, by all means, join us here at 244-1777, toll-free at 1-877-291-8255. Those bills that you're referring to, Governor vetoed uh, one or two, rather, that would allow non-citizens in Winooski and Montpelier the right to vote in local elections. That would be a charter change, correct? That would be a charter change. That's correct. And the other bill you're referring to is S-107, which would have extended some confidentiality provisions for arrest records to young adults in the same way as juveniles are afforded. So kind of, uh, you know, stretching that uh, that number 
where, you know, and where, where is the cutoff rate? Are you a young adult or you're a juvenile? Well, I mean, if we want to just protect the public from things like drunk driving, we ought to raise the age of majority to 50, and that would, would, would cut down a lot of the problems we have. But, you know, obviously I'm saying that facetiously, uh, is that we are creating a, a whole bunch of different standards for people who are, in fact, citizens. Uh, if on the one hand we say that uh, a, a citizen uh, can't, be held responsible for his actions by being publicly named after engaging in some kinds of criminal conduct, that's one thing. And then on the other hand, uh, some of those same folks are saying that we ought to lower the age of voting to 16. And, you know, again, I, I didn't hear any of the arguments for uh, doing either of those things. I mean, what are the what are the arguments, Randy? What are some of the things that you heard? Does any of it make sense to you at all? Well, it, it doesn't make a great deal of sense to me. And in terms of of asking for the justification of the arguments, I think you should ask those people who made the arguments <laughs> because they certainly weren't convincing to me. And uh, nor were they nor were they particularly clear. Uh, you know, you can you can argue that someone who is young, uh, perhaps is their, their brain is not fully developed. I right. mean, we've said that uh, in terms of, of uh, from research that we've seen regarding everything from criminality. Well, that's to, why they're yeah, called juveniles, and that's why well, we yes. treat juveniles differently. They have right. juvenile court, but uh, to consider, uh, I, and I don't know. I mean, what's the number? You're 21. You're 23 years old. Well, you know, he didn't really mean to do it. Wanting to consider. A 21 or a 23 year old as a juvenile, I I can't follow that argument. I'm sorry. Well, at the same time, too, uh, the the public has has some right to know what's going on in their their communities and to understand some of the risks associated with it. And keeping those things under the rug. Uh, and what brought this to the forefront was a case of I gather a uh, a young woman, a very young woman who. who uh, managed to have a, a head-on uh, automobile accident that killed two people. Uh, those things are are, are are things that have, I think, a public concern, and, sure. and the public, I think, has a right to know, particularly where there's a criminal charge involved and uh, and a conviction. Now, non-citizens voting, I can somewhat see the argument. I don't go along with it, but I mean, I can somewhat see the argument, and the argument is those that are, are for it is that, uh, well, we have non-citizens living within our community. They work. They're, they're paying taxes perhaps, or they're, they're, they're contributing to the community. Again, it would be for local elections. It would not be for statewide. It would not be for a national election. It wouldn't be for president. But to allow them to vote on, vote on things, for instance, like a budget, which might affect them. Uh, um, I, I can see that, but, it, but it, the precedent that it sets, and then are you going to do it in some communities, but you're not going to do it in other communities? And I think this was the governor's argument. Correct me if I'm wrong. Yes, was that... that was one of the arguments that, that, that he raised. Uh, I think the other issue, though, uh, that when you say this regards solely localities, I'm not sure that it does. Because at least in one of these cases, uh, one of the votes involves a, uh, an election for uh, school budgets. And when you think in Vermont, school budgets are not solely local. Uh, there's a distribution so that uh, there is a statewide component of every time you have school funding. School funding is a is a function uh, in which some towns pay more money because other towns have uh, have higher school costs. Right. In other words, there's a, a fungibility as far as, as as monies are concerned. And so, if you give someone the right to vote in a community, and that has the effect. Uh, on the school budget of citizens in another community who've not voted for that, I have a problem with that. I don't think that's fair. Now, not to show all of your cards, Senator, but uh, heading, um, well, in a Zoom uh, 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 legislative session coming up on Wednesday, what are your thoughts on, is the veto going to, will it sustain? Or? Well, time will tell. Uh, clearly, we're, we're in, in the minority. Uh, and that obviously is, is a factor. Uh, I think there are some people in the majority who may be also concerned about a number of those issues, including vote dilution. Uh, vote dilution, what vote dilution, you know, if you picture this, suppose you have an election in which there are only two voters, okay? Each of those voters represents 50% right. of the electorate. Now, when you add a third voter, a non-citizen, the votes of those two that were 50% are now 33% each. And the more you do that, the more you dilute the vote of the person as a citizen. And the question that you have to, to answer is, is that fair? 
And is that fair given the underlying constitutional issue that we hold citizens to be those who have the right and the responsibility and the ability to vote in an election? And should we subdivide that in a state that does have that as a constitutional issue? Should we subdivide it to weaken that concept when it comes to municipalities and also do it in a very, very uneven way? and also in a way that potentially affects others who have not voted for that. Right. Senator Randy Brock with us here on Travels with Charlie, 244-1777, We're going to get into, um, his, he had a, an op-ed piece uh, recently that uh, was quite critical of the legislative session. Before we get into that, Randy, if we could just maybe uh, you know pull the curtain back a little bit and let's take a peek behind if you can sort of, let us know what's going on because, you know, I look at some of these votes and I go down the roster and I see how everyone voted on it. And I see so much voted on via party line. And I'll bring up one, for instance, one that really sticks out for me. And that was 16-year-olds being allowed to vote. Mm-hmm. And there were, I think, maybe two Republican votes that said, yeah, 16 year olds should be allowed to vote, which is interesting. We're also fighting about, you know, who's a juvenile, who's not a juvenile, and yet we want 16 year olds uh, to be able to vote. And that pretty much was party line. Why is that? Why? It, it, it almost seems to me that it's a common sense issue. If you're 16 years old, why should we allow a 16 year old to vote? If we, if we, if we still, we want to consider them a juvenile in the courts, and yet it's okay to allow them to vote. Well, if you consider uh, that giving them uh, the right to vote gives them the right of citizenship, and if we do that on a statewide basis, let's say, as opposed to in individual municipal elections, and there's that argument, if you do it on a statewide uh, vote, would you like to have a legislature composed of 16-year-olds? Now, would, some might would, argue would you? Let me ask right you. Now, but I, <laughs> I won't go there. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but, you know, you, you sort of say, you know, then if, if a person can vote, then they can also serve. So should a 16-year-old serve on on, on the select board yeah. in, in, in your town? Well, why do you think that was such a party-line vote? I, I can't answer the question other than, than, than one party group may have been consuming something. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's legal <laughs> now, I, isn't I it? I can't otherwise explain <laughs> it, quite frankly. <laughs> Is the let me ask you? Is the Senate going to be taking up any unfinished business? Because the, again, people may not realize this, but mm-hmm. you go back for a veto session. You have yep. three bills, yep. but somebody can determine. Hey, well, we're here. Or, uh, let's let's do a few more things. Well, any, that's, any that's, chance that's, that'll that's happen? Right. There, are, there are a couple of bills right now that that, that are pending uh, final action. Uh, one bill uh, is what is it? H one fifty seven, and that's a, a, a bill that. Uh, relates to, well, it's got a bunch of things in it. It's, 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 it's housing, it's a number of things, but the thing that's probably most controversial is that is the bill that includes uh, registration of contractors. So this is the bill that, and there's a, a Senate amendment, the House uh, came down with a $3,500 or, le- or, or greater required registration. The Senate modified it, and that's what's pending now, to $2,500. And essentially, it's, it's a handyman licensing bill. And it's a bill that, that comes from the fact that the largest complaint that the Attorney General's office, the consumer protection people, have received have been about bad uh, uh, home uh, contractors, people who come in to say they're going to do a job of fixing your roof, and they take a deposit, and they disappear. Yeah. Or they just simply do a rotten job. And the question is people are losing money, particularly seniors, to this kind of activity. So the uh, bill that the Senate said is, well, let's just take every contractor who does residential contracting above 2500 which is a very small amount, realistically. It is. It is. Well, especially and with let's the, register. the cost of lumber today. That's three stairs on your deck. That's it. <laughs> and let, So let's register them. And then that way we'll control and we'll be able to send them notes about what they should and shouldn't do. And yeah. we'll have investigations if something goes wrong. And uh, people will have a place to complain. Not that they don't right now. They do. Doesn't the Better Business Association do a good no, job? Not really. It doesn't, no. no. It's not really. It's not yeah. really effective. And so the, the, the real question then becomes, becomes this. How does it help any of those victims get any money back? And when you ask that question, as I did to the Attorney General's rep uh, in committee, Mm -hmm. the answer is it doesn't. What it does is 
How do they get their money back? Well, they got to go to court and sue. Yeah. Well, that's what they have to do right now. Yeah. So how did that improve anything? So it doesn't create anything new, and in fact, uh, it probably is creating some red tape, especially for the handyman. You know, well, when you talk does. about a twenty-five hundred dollar job, here, that's we, not a big company. We we spent a lot of time, for example, talking about marginalized people who want to go in business, uh, black, indigenous people of color. Yeah. And we want to open doors so that anybody, you know, can go into business and, and, and make a living and be part of the American dream. And the first thing we do in the same session that we talk about it is we put this huge impediment in their way that, well, you got to get registered, you got to get this, you have to have that, and so on. And we create a bureaucracy with six more people, uh, or how I guess it's two or three more people, uh, but there's never just two or three more people. There's two or more people today. Yeah. And, you know, you look at the Office of Professional Regulation. It's not that they do a bad job. They do what we tell them to do. But when I was oh, going back into the states be a while, uh, in, the t in the time when Jim Douglas was the Secretary of State, that's how far back, uh, they had two people doing this. They now have almost 40 people doing this. When, when, when I look back to that day when I was a, a board chair and Jim Douglas was Secretary of State, the phone was answered by the Deputy Secretary of State during the noon hour. <laughs> <laughs> so it's, it's more bureaucracy, it's, it's more, and, it's, an and it's more red tape. And this yeah. is going to add to that army. Well, we're going to continue our conversation with uh, Senator Randy Brock when we come right back here on Travels with Charlie. We're going to talk about this op-ed piece that he wrote, very critical of the past legislative session. Our first question to Randy when he may come back is, were you too harsh? And you'll get that response coming up right after this on Travels with Charlie, WDEV. The waste and resource management industry is a complex, integrated system that many people and communities take for granted. Trash, recycling, compost, we're all familiar with the terms, but maybe not the truths behind the waste industry. Want to learn more? Beyond the Bin is a podcast by Casella, which shines a light on what really happens to our waste and recycling. If you're interested in environmental sustainability and renewable resources, then check out this podcast. You'll learn about waste and recycling, meet members of the Casella team, and one episode even deals with beekeeping. Check it out online at www.casella.com forward slash beyond the bin. And we are back, Travels with Charlie, with Senator Randy Brock, 244-1777, Corm continues to try to stump me with the bumper music. Bob Seger, Silver Bullet Band. I mean, come on, Corm. you got to go deeper. you got to go way deeper. Maybe on the next show we'll do something from Kraftwerk. <laughs> do you remember them? Fun, fun, fun on the Autobahn. Oh, that was some good stuff. Even Randy shaking his head. He doesn't want to hear that. So we are back with you, Senator Randy Brock with us, and we're going to get right into this op-ed piece that he wrote recently. Uh, I'll give you the headline. Lawmakers swatted flies as the House burns down. Were you too harsh on the legislator se legislative session, Randy? Well, I... Don't know if I was necessarily too harsh, but I did mention what the picture that I kind of saw. Yeah, you want to explain that, that picture about well, swatting it was, it flies? Was a picture. Suppose, imagine you wake up in the morning, yeah. and there's crumbs on the counter, there's dirty dishes in the sink, and there's flies in the house because somebody left the back door open. Sounds like my college days. So <laughs> you know. what? What do you what do you deal with first? And the answer is none of the above, because you need to look around and you find that the house is on fire. Yeah. Well, that was the last legislative session. We swatted some flies, and we got rid of a few crumbs, and we actually washed the dishes in a couple of cases. <laughs> well, let's let's talk about uh, the good, the bad, and the ugly, and I think that's a good way to put it. And, and we'll try to be fair. I mean, yeah. it, it wasn't all bad. You no, wanna, no, no. You want to touch on some of the good points before we well, get into the bad the, points Among here? the good things is we didn't wreck the cleanup of the lake by doing what some suggested of diverting the money that we had set aside a couple of years ago to provide a stream to clean Lake Champlain up, uh, and, and that we, we, we did well. Uh, we got a lot of money out the door to help people who are hurting, both individuals and also businesses, particularly business segments that were tremendously damaged by COVID, yeah. and we got a lot of money out the door. 
Now, we didn't always get it out the door as cleanly and as securely as I would have liked, and that is one of the issues. Uh, Gains in child care, you mentioned, yes, we did. You mentioned that. Uh, you want to talk you know, about that? Child care is, is a major problem, and, and we go back and forth about how much a state should invest in child care and provide child care, but when we want to get people to work and we want to fill jobs that we have, uh, if people don't have child care, they can't work. That's and that's right. one of the major impediments. And if you look at Vermont right now, it's not that we have a shortage of jobs. We have a shortage of workers. And that is where uh, adding additional supports for child care was really important to help people be able to afford that so that they could go back to work. And that is an economic development input uh, and, and essential for the state. So we did work in that area, and I think that was a plus. I know you, d- you didn't give it a letter grade, and I know that's no, I didn't. Um, mm-hmm. You know, it seems today schools don't. You either pass or you fail. They don't give. They don't give. And I don't think anybody fails. That's kind of. Uh, but if you were to give it, <laughs> that's a whole other. We won't get into the cancel culture here. In the <laughs> no, I, 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 uh, I, I but, don't know that I would give the the the, the legislature grade. There are some things I think that we yeah. we we did pretty well. Can you uh, can I, you put it in perspective because you've been. Senator, mm-hmm. you actually you you were in the Senate, you left, and then you went back in. Mm-hmm. Can you I'm put a two-time it, loser? Uh, yeah, could you put it in perspective a little bit? Uh, yeah. This to to other sessions. Well, this is uh, is something that is very difficult to put in perspective because this session is so very different. Because it was remote. A, it was remote, which is only part of the problem, but also the magnitude of the issues that we had to deal with. Uh, are tremendous. In, in many cases, uh, and, and the legislature is notorious for kicking cans down the road, there's some things, though, that we couldn't kick down the road. The notion of providing support to businesses uh, in probably the most trying times that they ever had uh, was absolutely critical. The notion of ensuring that we had unemployment provisions so that people who are out of work, you know, we went from the lowest unemployment in the nation at 2%, a little over 2%, up to, in very short order, a 16% unemployment rate. Uh, that means there are lots of people who are out of work, people who are living pay to check, uh, check, uh, check, paycheck to paycheck. Right. And we, we, we worked very hard to ensure that, that people were protected, they didn't fall through the crack. And I think we did a pretty good job there. L- let's focus on some of the things that did not happen. You mentioned uh, you know, study committees and task force, uh, kicking the can down the road. First thing that comes to mind... Uh, is uh, you know pension reform? I did a, a video travels with Charlie with Dave Coates and and Art Wolf mm-hmm. two years ago, and I and and Dave was a guest on my program for multiple years talking about the pen you know the pension crisis in the state. And again, we're we're studying it. Well, Randy, I I was talking about the pension crisis uh, and the the offshot of that when I was a state auditor and I left the auditor's role in the beginning of two thousand and seven. And the handwriting was on the wall then. Dave Coates and I were both uh, uh, talking about that at, at that point, and we're still talking about it. So why do we need a study committee? Why? Well, often what happens is you need a disaster. You need a disaster to impel people to do what they should have done a long time ago. Uh, if, if This is not new. Take a look at the... the, the, the the state college system, for example. Right. People were saying for years that this is on its last leg. So do that, you think this is going to get resolved in the next session? What, the pension? The, the pension? Uh, I think it has to get resolved. Well, I think we've now, known that for I, a long I time. I don't Will think, it? Uh, yeah, I, I'm, I'm hopeful yeah. uh, that it's gotten to the point now because, you know, we went up $600 million in pension expenses in a year, if you can imagine that. Now, if we don't do that, then shame on us. And it will not be, I'm afraid, anything that anybody, regardless of your political party or political posture or political beliefs, is going to like. Uh, Let's touch on permit reform before we run out of time. Sure. N- no permit reform. This is, again, would help out with affordable housing. Yeah, and, and affordable housing is one of the major problems that we have. And uh, what, what is affordable housing? You know, that's, that's perhaps a definitional issue right now. Well, it's relative when, to what you make. When I go out. And, you know, I'm on the 
Economic Development Housing and General Affairs Committee that looks at housing. And, and I think we've done some good work in, in terms of, of, of providing and planning for uh, 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 expanding housing, which is a critical need. But I, I recall going to a, a, a facility in Bellows Falls that was being rehabbed to be an affordable housing uh, run by one of the, you know, the alphabet agencies that we have doing this. And the one bedroom and in some cases studio apartments were going to have a cost of $400,000 each. Yeah. That is not affordable. Not at all. Not and at all. And that is one of the problems. Another issue, Randy, Randy Brock with us, Senator Randy Brock. We're, we're still taxing veterans' pensions. Again, this is an issue that came up years ago. I thought it was resolved, and it's still not we're resolved. only one of three states in the United States right now that fully taxes veterans' benefits. Veterans, uh, particularly the younger veterans who retire at age 40 or so and have critical skills, particularly in the medical area, that we want and need and we want to attract in order to fill jobs that we have from CDL drivers to nurses. Well, they're also the people that you want to keep here in the state. And you want to keep, you want them to bring their families and their spouses who also work. To bring kids in order to fill these blank spots that we have in schools. Randy, and looking, turning them away. Looking back at the session, do you think it should have been shorter? Just, just concentrate on the things that needed to be done. It would have been helpful to focus on that. I mean, I don't think, I think that regulating electric bicycles could have waited a session or two. Yeah. Uh, Senator Randy Brock, my guest this afternoon on Travels with Charlie. Randy, before you go, and I want to thank you for joining me here today at WDEV. I have to ask you, and we'll tell a quick story how you and I first met. Uh, <laughs> when when Randy calls me up and says, because well, you know Ernie Farrar, my uh, former co-host, used to talk about uh, cheesesteaks all the time, and I said, and Randy calls up and says, I'm coming in with a cheesesteak from John from Johnny's Pizza in New Jersey. Pat's and Geno's in Philadelphia. We're going to do a blind taste test. Well, let's fast forward. We did the blind taste test. Johnny's Pizza in New Jersey, hands down, won. And that was your favorite spot. Absolutely. Have you I, been I, there I, recently? I, yes, I have. Not <laughs> Every time I take a trip down where I'm driving, whether it be to Washington or, or wherever, and I'm driving, I stop. Uh, I was born in, in Philadelphia. This place in New Jersey is a suburb outside of yeah. Philadelphia. My parents are buried nearby, so whenever I visit their grave, I also get a cheesesteak. Get a cheesesteak. Senator Randy Brock. Randy, I really appreciate you joining me here on Travels with Charlie, and uh, let's stay in touch. Absolutely. Thank All you. Right. Good luck in the veto session. Keep it right here. Coming up next, the Sustainability Spotlight with Casella Waste. When I'm on my travels throughout Vermont, I know where to stop for a fill-up, fresh-made sandwiches, snacks, hot coffee, or an ice-cold Coca-Cola. Jolly convenience stores. With over 40 in our area, there's always one nearby. And they're more than a quick stop. Proudly supporting local charities, community events, and our military. Jolly convenience stores. Home of the Daily Smile. Even behind that mask. Stop by today. You'll be glad you did. Oh, you're just teasing me, Coram. You are. Just, this is one of my favorite groups, the Grassroots. I love them. Oh, I could listen to that. Huh? <laughs> but it's time for Jeff Weld, the director of community engagement with Casella Waste, the Casella Waste Sustainability Spotlight. Jeff, good afternoon. Welcome to Travels with Charlie. Hey, Charlie. Thanks for having me. Well, let's talk about uh, what's happening right now because. We're celebrating Waste and Recycling Workers Week. What does that mean? Yeah, thanks. Um, it's, it's a great program. It's, it's really just a way for our industry to shine a light on the men and women that, that go above and beyond every day to, to get the, the work done that nobody really wants to consider but always wants to have happen. And it, um, you know, it started a while back as a Waste and Recycling Workers Day. Um, on June 17th each year, and it's sort of evolved into a, a week-long effort um, for people to participate in and, and recognize the, the folks that do that great work. Well, Jeff, sometimes I think we probably take those folks that drive the Casella trucks uh, for granted and stop by our house and pick up our, our trash and our recycling. But when you think about it, you know, just coming out of the, the pandemic, we could have had another health crisis on our hands due to a lack of service. I mean, think about that. 
Yeah, I think, you know, it's, it's interesting because it's, a, it's one of those things we talk about a lot. I mean, every good post-apocalyptic movie ever made starts with a scene with trash strewn streets. That's and right. Overturned dumpsters and things. And, you know, uh, trash and recycling pickup is a, is a society. Right. Um, so really what we saw over the course of the pandemic was more and more people recognizing that because they were home and they saw our people out on the streets doing that work as opposed to being at work and, you know, having the truck show up while you're gone and the cans emptied when you get home. Right. You also notice uh, in, in those apoc- apocalyptic movies, Jeff, uh, people always head up to Vermont. <laughs> it's, it's safe up here. Amen, brother. Head to the mountains. <laughs> Uh, Jeff Weld with with uh, Casella Wasey's the director of community engagement. Jeff, let's talk about some career opportunities with Casella and your partnership with Stafford Technical Center. This has happened uh, about a year ago, and there is an accelerated CDL training program. Can you tell me more about that? Yeah, I think um, you know it's a great week to think about that. Great week to talk about it, Charlie. We uh, we started that program partnered with Stafford Tech here in Rutland, and really it's a way for us to grow the careers of the people already in our company and also serve as a pipeline for people outside the company who want to get their CDL but maybe have a barrier of entry. Maybe the cost is too high. Maybe they they can't find that right opportunity. They can't get it to work with their schedule. And what we've created in that partnership is is really a way to break down those barriers of entry. You know, you, you get through the program, you pass the program, you become employed with us, and, it, and it's all um, courtesy of, of our company. So it's really part of it that we have to growing our people and, and not just thinking about sustainability from a waste and recycling standpoint, but also from a community standpoint and from a, um, a sustainable employer standpoint. That's an accelerated CDL uh, training program. So it, does it take less time than it normally would, Jeff? Yeah, it'll take less time, most likely. I mean, you still have to get the seat hours, but you know, we're going to put you through the paces, and we've got a great, a great team that's in place that's, that's doing that. Bill Baptie is a is a man who's been in this industry for a long time. Knows what it takes to to get through that class, and you know, we've got a hundred percent pass rate on the CDL mm. for folks that have gone through that that it, program. So it's a it's a great program. It's accelerated, and it's you know, it's, it's our view that we hope to grow it and and um, you know, put, get some people into the workforce that maybe saw a barrier of entry that, that no longer exists now. Yeah, it's also an interesting point because somebody might think, well, you know, great, I got my CDL, I can, you know, drive the, the truck. But as you point out uh, on your website, most of your managers and general managers started as drivers. Yeah, I mean, and I think that's to credit our, our HR team and our, our frontline um managers that have really taken the time to think about the whole person and, and create career paths as opposed to, hey, we just we just want your help and you can be a good driver and it's just like anywhere. I, I think you'll find that everywhere from our customer care team to our um, technicians and maintenance people all the way to our drivers. I mean, they, they come here, there's a career path if they want to achieve um, – more than they have right now, then, then we create a path for them to do just that. Right, and that's important so because... Story after story. Yeah, you've got people that are in management positions that started off as drivers, so they understand, you know, they you come up the, the ladder, you understand the, the ropes. It's, a, it's, it's just what it is, Charlie, that's exactly right. And, you know, you think about a lot of drivers who may be currently unhappy with their position, a lot of times it's because the managers don't understand the work that they're doing. They, right. they haven't done it before. That's that's just not the case here at Casella. I mean, our managers, by and large, have done the work, understand what it takes, and, and that's why we have such longevity um, within our company. Anything special going on for your workers uh, this week as Casella Waste celebrates Waste and Recycling Workers Week? What's going on, Jeff? Yeah, I mean, we're just doing a few different things. Our divisions will do a few different things. And, you know, just really, um, from my standpoint, it's all about us. We created a little video that you'll see out on our social media channels. I encourage people to check those out. But really, it's about raising awareness and giving customers the opportunity to say thank you as well, whether it's, you know, 
providing your driver with a, a cold drink of water on a hot day or um, just recognizing the good work that they do with a, um, a note or a note yeah. of thanks or anything like that. It's just It's a way to raise awareness and, and get those folks out there. But, um, it's really all about making that connection with our communities and our drivers. Absolutely. Hey, these are people they are doing great work every day. Let's uh, let's give him a round of applause and think of him uh, as we celebrate Waste and Recycling Workers Week. Jeff Weld, Director of Community Engagement on the Casella Waste Sustainability Spotlight. For more information, go to casella.com forward slash careers if you want to find out more about the accelerated CDL training program. Jeff, thank you so much for joining me on the Sustainability Spotlight today. Thanks for having me, Charlie. Really appreciate it. All right. There you go. Next up, it's Mark Redman, Spectrum Youth Services, with his new book. He joins me in studio straight ahead. Travels with Charlie right here on WDEV. Whether you're traveling for a vacation, planning a business trip, or have a global company looking for a strong Vermont-based company to align with for business and meeting management, Milne Travel is a trusted local partner, and they've been one since 1975. Milne Travel is one of the top travel companies based in New England. Featuring educational tours, vacation travel, or corporate solutions, let their travel specialists search the lowest airfares exclusive to the travel industry for you guaranteed. We're all getting ready to travel again. Save time and money on your next trip. Go to www.millnetravel.com. I'll put your headphones on. You might have to help me out on this one, Mark. Take a listen to this music. I, I know the song, but I... The last one was the grassroots. Yeah, it? yeah, yeah. Give us some more corn. Yeah, that's Clapton. I recognize the voice. Travels with Charlie. Good afternoon. Charlie Papillo along with Mark Redman and uh, Corm, who uh, is producing on the other side of the booth here. He tries to stump me with music uh, every other Monday that I'm in here. And that was a good stump. That was a good one. That was good. That was a good one. We had to wait for the vocals <laughs> to get it. Right, Charlie? Well, well, my friend Mark Redman, who, again, I haven't seen Mark in, in quite a few oh, years. Man, but I I'm know. back. I'm doing the show here on WDEV. Travels it. with Charlie. And and, and Mark, is, is, the last time he wrote a book, it was 16, 17 years ago. That's right. So, I was due. I'm like the cicadas. Yeah, he's back. <laughs> Every 17 years, I come out. <laughs> Mark is the executive director for Spectrum Youth Services, not just in Burlington. Uh, you just right. talked with Senator Randy Brock about your location in St. Albans. We've expanded in St. Albans about two months ago. I mean, we were working with kids in foster care up there, and the two workers there have said to me for quite a while, there are young people in that city who really need help. Some of them are literally homeless or suffering from addiction or mental health disorders, and Spectrum should be up there. So... I, a couple of big donations came through recently, and we opened up a drop-in center on Lake Street. So we're there Monday to Friday, free hot lunch, free hot dinner, change your clothes, do your laundry, take a shower. How did COVID affect all of your services? You know, COVID struck. So, uh, you know, we do a lot of mental health and addiction counseling. So we got all our counselors, Zoom accounts, and laptops. So we did most of our work over Zoom. But... When COVID hit, we had 16 homeless kids living in our building on Pearl Street in our drop-in center. So we just couldn't say to them, hey, you have to go. So uh, we really took precautions, got everybody masks and all that. And I'm so proud of our staff. I said to our staff, if you're too frightened to come to work because you might get sick and get COVID, don't come in. We'll still pay you. And we won't even ask you to take a health day. And not one single staff person took me up on that. They all showed up during the entire pandemic. Did you have any cases of virus with the, uh, your... Some Two youth yeah. had symptoms right away, which was super scary, because remember in the beginning, we didn't know how it was transmitted. Right. Nobody had masks, you know, so they had symptoms, but they tested negative. We had one or two staff get it, but they could have gotten it from, you know, shopping at the store. We right. don't know. So we did offer to anyone who did come in to work with kids, we offered hazard pay. We said we would pay time and a half. So I think we were one of the last nonprofits to do that. We ended it only recently. Have you missed two of your sleepouts because of the COVID? Uh, so crisis? the sleepout we did, it, it, the, the whole thing happened in March, right? Remember the NBA shut down yep. March, man. So the sleepout was like a week away. So we we're like, oh, we can't do the sleepout now. A hundred people all on one lawn, do it virtually. So people did it in their backyard. So then the next year, 
Charlie, we set a record the next year for the most number of people doing it. 430 people did it, and it raised over $400,000. Wow. So, so what are you thinking? Are you, you going to go back? That. I may do that. <laughs> it might be easier for people just to do it in their backyard. So, it, and remember, we had that empty bowl, too. We did the empty bowl right. virtually. We brought soup to people's homes. We nice. delivered soup. So we figured out a way. So we're going to think going forward, you know, do we maybe do a hybrid, you know, yeah. of some people sleeping out and the sleep out downtown and others doing it in their backyard. But I was people came through for us. We raised more money than we ever have. So I'm so grateful to uh, to people, especially in Vermont, for doing that. Mark Redman, Executive Director for Spectrum Youth Services. You can join us here on the phone at 244-1777 or toll-free at 1-877-291-8255. You notice I still have to look at the numbers here. I haven't got, I don't have them memorized. Like, <laughs> It'll take a while. It takes a while. You know, 20 years I had the numbers memorized. I know. You'll <laughs> get there, Charlie. Uh, Mark, I do have to say one thing yes. because, um, uh, you know, Mark and I, we had a, a tradition going for a long time. It just happened to work this way. Anytime Mark was a guest on my program, we, it would be a food day or there was a restaurant day and somebody would have food there. Mark has shared sushi with me, right. hot wings, I think maybe even lobster rolls at one point. You never right. know. At so, eight in the morning. At eight o'clock in the morning, exactly. <laughs> so I, I, you know, I, I, I mentioned to, to Mark about coming on the program. I said, we'll meet earlier, earlier at the bagel shop right That's here on right. Stowe Street in That's Waterbury. Right. And I said, uh, you know, before we, before we go on the air. I cracked, I lost a tooth over the weekend, and I said, I can't eat bagels, I can't even eat pizza. So, I, I don't want to break that streak, because it would not be good. We, we, we I see I, you have I, cookie. I, I brought in an, oh, this is from the bagel shop downstairs, which is a fantastic, oh, fantastic, fantastic bagel shop. I got Look a nice coffee from that. That's oatmeal. an oatmeal, oatmeal raisin. Oatmeal raisin. I, that's my favorite. Thank you. My favorite. I appreciate so. it. You've never, you've never, you know, <laughs> left me hanging out to run the food. For so, it. so never. We, we have something to look forward to the next time here on WDEV. Yeah. We got to work on it, and Cormo will enjoy this too. We're going to get prime rib dinner in here. We're, prime rib? <laughs> prime rib. Even if it's eight in the morning. I don't I, care. <laughs> prime rib. I love it. Prime love rib. It. So, so Mark, let's yes. talk about your memoir. Which, yes. Which, as I was looking at it, and I'm going, and I'm trying to write a promo coming up on the next. Travels with Charlie. Yeah. It's it's uh, Mark Redman with uh, his memoir called Called. That's it. You, One you, word. You did that just to screw people up. It's like how do you introduce? <laughs> you know, it's like it's like an Abbott and Costello routine. It's, it's, it's who's called on first. It's called That's right. It's called what? It's called no. It's called That's Called. It. That's it. <laughs> called. So yeah, I wrote it and I sent I sent a couple of different titles around to people and every person was like, "That's it. That's the word." You know, so it really fits the description of the book. So. Yeah, it came out only a couple of weeks ago. May 25th was the uh, it, it launched. So I published it through Phoenix Books, which is in Burlington and exits in Rutland. I'm encouraging people to either buy it there, Charlie, or you go phoenixbooks.com. Jeff Bezos does not need your money, Charlie. No. Okay? But Phoenix <laughs> Books does. You can get it through Amazon. It's on Amazon and Barnes and & Noble and Nook and Kindle. Oh, it's Amazon Prime Day. Maybe and, there's a special on there. Yeah, Who knows? I'm sure there is. But I'm encouraging people to buy Vermont, buy local, buy through Phoenix Books. So at, at first, when I heard about you doing a memoir, I, I questioned it. I go, memoir? You know, you're not old enough to do a memoir. But... You've been in youth services yes. for 40-plus years. 40 years and a day. And a day. Yesterday was my 40th anniversary. June 20th of 1981 was the day I left my job on Madison Avenue and my apartment off of Park Avenue and 62nd Street. And I moved into a hovel of a room across from a uh, crack house and a uh, strip club and started working with homeless youth. 40 years ago yesterday. Happy anniversary Thank to you. Thank you. And you've never looked back, have you, Mark? When no, you, there have been you know, some... when, when you talk about that, people must go, wait a minute, this guy left high-paying job on Madison Avenue, had a nice apartment on Park Avenue. Yeah. It's like the Green Acres, you know, Green Acres, you know, Park <laughs> Avenue. Great show. <laughs> and here I, you know, no longer there. We need some new lyrics for that. I'm living next to a strip club. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> <laughs> Times Square. So right. obviously you were called. Mm -hmm. what, what, what was that voice in your head, Mark? What was it that said you need to do this? It was just this urging that this is the path I need to follow. I was volunteering one night a week at Covenant House, working with homeless kids. And I would go to Times Square, which is a very dangerous place back then. 
And the more and more I did that, every Thursday night working with the kids, I started to realize, you know what, this is really what I want to do. I was lucky, Charlie. My parents paid for my college education. I didn't have any loans or anything like that, you know. And I remember going back to a meeting at my corporation and some vice president saying, we're now at $300 billion in assets, and we need to get to $500 billion in assets by the end of the decade. That's what you all need to work towards. And I remember thinking... That's not my goal. That's not what I want to work. Was with. it a um, <laughs> now? Now I'm now I'm really curious. Yes. You, you, what kind of an exit was it? Was it? Did you throw everything down and say I'm out of here, or <laughs> or did you leave? You know, thank you very much, but I want to do something my else. My father, who worked in the business world, always told me, whatever, whenever you leave a job, leave on good terms. <laughs> yeah. It's because you you may need them at some point. So I, I did the right thing. I gave notice, you know, and they were very kind to me. You know, they were very kind to me. And some of those people I'm still in touch with, and some of them even donate to Spectrum. So I left the right. And I tell that to my son and to the kids at Spectrum. Always leave yeah. a job, if you can, on good terms. Mark, one of the things that I've uh, always uh, recognized about you, and I've always really appreciated anytime you're a guest on the program, it was always like, you know, just ask Mark a question, or or I'd, I'd wait for you. To, you haven't got a piece of paper. You'd always pull a piece of paper out. You'd have a letter from oh, a, right. from a former uh, you know right. client of Spectrum, that's and that's right. basically what's in the book. Is a lot of stories, right? I mean, yes. you are a great storyteller. Make no mistake about mm. that. For people that do not know Mark Redman, in fact, you did a one-person show on Broadway. I did. I did in 2019. I got picked for the United Solo Festival. It sold out. It was on Broadway. And six days later, I did another storytelling show at the Flint, at Flint Space. And that sold out, too. And it was after that I went to Flatbread with some friends. And yeah. one of my friends said, when are we going to see these stories in a book? And she was like the fifth person to say that to me. And when five different people who don't know each other all tell you the same thing, Charlie, right? Yeah. You're like, well, there's a message here. So when the pandemic hit and I couldn't go into Spectrum anymore, I think, well, there's a half hour in the morning and half hour back driving that I'm not doing. There's an hour I didn't have before. I'm going to use that hour every day to write. So that's how the book came about. What's it like um, to perform on Broadway? <laughs> <That's> <laughs> that was exciting. Did you, did you have some butterflies? <laughs> I had a lot of butterflies. It was a small theater. It's yeah. so funny. But I, still, I, I mean, I, even at the Flynn, I mean. I know, and the Flynn was great, too. It was really great, you know, and it's certainly butterflies. But it's like sports. I played football in high school yeah. and rugby, and, and you get this nervous feeling. Well, you're like, in Burlington. You probably knew 85% of did. the people in the I audience. Did. You're in New York. Right, I Maybe your family was my there. My mom was my eighty-nine-year-old well, mom. God in bless the front your mother row. in the front row, going correcting <laughs> you and applauding and laughing at all, all the right times. And my brothers flew up from North Carolina. One flew now from Boston. My wife and son flew. It was felt a lot of college friends were there, high school friends. It was a great feeling. And the best, Charlie. So one of the stories I told was about a young man who I counseled at Covenant House thirty-nine years earlier. Yeah. And he was addicted to drugs, and most of the next 15 years he was in prison. And I would write to him and visit him in prison. And he has since been in recovery now. And I said to him, can you come to the show? I want to tell the story about you. So I told the story, and then I said to the audience, this was not in the original script, but Tony's here today. Wow. Can you stand up? So this, he stood up. I've known him 39 years, and he hugged me. The whole place was crying. The wow. whole place. It was wow. such a powerful moment. I'm godfather to his little daughter, and whenever I go to New York City, I got a nice text from him yesterday. Happy Father's Day, Mark. Awesome. So it's an amazing story. First 15, 20 years, he was either in prison or in rehab, and now he's been clean for 23 years, and every five years I go back to his his 12-step uh, meeting, his celebration. See, I knew you'd tell the story. And there you and, go. And, and there are more in the book. Mark Redman, <laughs> yes. the memoir called, that's the name of it, it's called... Give me another story, Mark. I know I'm not putting you on the spot. Young man from Spectrum, he loves this story. He came to us and showed up at our door, didn't have anywhere to live. And uh, he was on supplemental security income where you get a guaranteed payment. And he said, my family put me on this. I'm not disabled. I don't want to be on Social Security. So we took him to Social Security office, and they said, we don't know how to take anybody off of this. Everybody <laughs> we know is trying to get on. Yeah. So we got him off. He got a job. He liked fixing cars. I took him down to Vermont Tech and Randolph. Dan Smith was president. Sure. He came back. I drove him back, and I said, I think you should apply. You know, you can make a nice living as a car mechanic. 
And as he got out of the car, he turned to me and said, thanks for doing this. I'm not used to people doing nice things like this for me. Wow. wow. I just thought, holy smokes. All they did was take an afternoon off, right, and drive to look at a college. So anyway, he applied. He got in. He got financial aid. And today, not only did he get his associate's degree, he stayed on to get his bachelor's degree, and then he was named commencement speaker at Vermont Tech. So he loves the book. I sent him the book, and he was like, I loved it. I loved it. It's such a great story of a young man who really had a lot of family difficulties growing up, transcended all of them with the help of the staff at Spectrum, and is now on his own and just has really a really great life. Mark, can you sort of in a nutshell tell us a little bit about Spectrum Youth Services, what it is that you do, the people that you work with, the clients, and also about your, your car detailing yes, business? Yes, yes, yes. So Spectrum was formed 50 years ago, 51 years ago, and we work with young people who might be homeless or runaway, suffering from addiction, suffering from emotional disorders, kids in the juvenile justice system, kids involved in human trafficking. And we help them in a variety of ways. We have that drop-in center. We have an eight-bed shelter. We have transitional housing. We have councils. We have mentoring. And you're right. Four years ago, we realized our kids were not very successful at staying in their jobs. So we decided, why don't we create our own business that Spectrum will run and staff and have adults on there who know how to work with this group of kids. So it's on uh, Avenue C in Williston and Industrial Avenue Detail Works. It's open right now. I was there the other day, and we they wear their uniforms, and they have their logo. And it's teaching them skills, right? It's teaching them skills, and it's teaching them the soft skills of how to show up on time, yeah. how to speak to a boss, how to work with your teammates, how to speak to customers, how to dress at work. They never learn these things, Charlie, which is why they usually quit or get fired at regular jobs. So we have we track how long they stay at Detail Works, and we've more than doubled the longevity rate versus when we place them in you know other jobs. Mark, it's great seeing you today. Mark Redman, Executive Director for Spectrum Youth Services. Again, the book it's on Amazon and uh, bookstores and MarkRedmanBooks.com. It's got every single way you could read or listen to it or whatever. <laughs> it's all there. So thanks for having me back, and thanks for the cookie. My pleasure. Next time, next time it's prime rib. Mark. I'll be here. All right. I'm writing that down. All right. Mark Regman, uh, thank you for joining us today. Next show, we're off on the 5th. We're going to be celebrating, of course, the 4th. We're going to be back with you on July 12th. We're going to be working on some fun things with some uh, giveaways, perhaps. And don't forget, for the podcast of this show and previous ones, you can go to WDEVradio.com. Travels with Charlie is sponsored by Casella Waste Systems, Jolly Convenience Stores, and Milne American Express Travel with support from True North Radio. Theme song written and performed by Billy Bratcher. My executive producer is Brad Ferlin. I'm Charlie Papillo, and I'll see you in my travels on the next Travels with Charlie. All the folks you meet are sitting in a diner or out in the street. Catch up with the news. Get your point of view.